Test, test, test. The human torch was denied a bank loan. Okay, marks. Yay. Good. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Flail Forward. Take two. We're live, obviously, because nothing's working. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, we would probably leave this in even if it wasn't live, so deal with it. It is our brand. We have no respect for the listener. All right. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this is a podcast about uh, really just our thoughts, but we say it's about game design. So there you go. Uh, our, this, the topic tonight comes back. Right, Kat? It's resurrected. Mm-hmm. From 2022. For now. For now. Or now. through 2022. I don't know if we did it originally. What was it? Probably like... 2019? 2019? 2019, maybe? Yeah. It's uh, been a while. Has been a while. The topic suggested by that dude, Mark's joining us. Hi. That's me. I'm Rob, by the way. That's Kat, who also talked. Yay! <laughs> we are your hosts for tonight, because that's, that's who showed up. <laughs> and no one else wanted to do it. No one else wanted to do it. We are, we are, we are the, 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 uh, the, 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 guarding the, I don't know, defending the something of, I don't know. I feel like we're the Night's Watch, alone on yes. the wall, staring out into the darkness, cold. It's really a thankless cold. job, but someone has to do it. Someone must talk about the minutiae of RPG design. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Otherwise. I mean, no, if we're not going to do it, like, would you do it? Like, you, listener, would you do it? Come on. Come on our Discord right now. Hop yeah. right on. Talk about it. Mm-hmm. We've we listened to you. Yeah. <laughs> Your opinions are just as valid as ours. Maybe not. But we'll find out. <laughs> um, something that can be tested. Very true. Uh, so today, what I was hoping to chat about was... Um, something that we touched on a very long time ago, which was the way to design narrative or to bake that. How, how do you get a narrative across in an RPG? And how do you design your role-playing game to make sure that you can deliver that narrative? Um, and that's a big topic. Um, but this was sort of one of the first chats I think we had where we were really getting into building out the idea of, you know, a role-playing game is a story creation engine. Like that wow. is the the goal of what the RPG is trying to deliver on, um, and and thinking about it in terms of the the nuts and bolts, which I think gets me excited about. How do I approach designing a game system in order to make sure that it can deliver on the the levers and the the um, mechanisms that the players and game masters can use to give or to, to generate that story. Mm-hmm. I, I think one thing we should point out immediately is that so long as the players and the GM and everybody involved have the capacity to think and act on their own, then you cannot guarantee that they will get a certain experience. All you can do is give them the tools for it. If they decide they don't want to use them, there's only so much you can do about that. You can, however, at least provide them with functional tools and things that if they use them the way they're designed, it will probably lead to 
getting the result that you want them to have. I think that's a really good point. I think uh, stating right up front that uh, there's no way to force this to happen. You can only lead the horse to water. You cannot make it drink. Exactly. It's, uh, it, that's just something that I think every designer needs to keep in mind. Uh, especially yeah, also, like I mean, it's, it's less of an issue in the United States because they have ruled that waterboarding is not torture, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> the rest of the civilized world, however, listen, there are very good reasons. <laughs> we were, the, the federal government was totally justified in uh, doing that mean thing to that dude over there that uh, looked at us funny and said, said some words in a foreign language that we didn't understand. So, fuck that guy. All right. But, America. Yeah. Anyway, point is, yes, you can lead the horse to water. You can't make them drink. And it, it, it doesn't really work, but you can build stuff into the game that if somebody wants to use it, that it'll totally work in their favor. So if you want, I could start off with an example, for example. I, well, I think, uh, I think you're right. And whoops, I think we should... Um probably start out with like a couple of easy low-hanging fruit ways of designing narrative because maybe that'll that'll uh uh you're going to give an example so i'm saying exactly what you were going to say but in a different <laughs> way go ahead then go ahead <laughs> well i the simplest one that comes to mind for me is a straight up uh a binary uh narrative right so simple like pass fail like did you jump over the chasm or not? And that's to me, that's like the simplest version of the of the design and narrative thing, right? Because it's the here's here's some action that you take. We're gonna design something that's that says whether you pass or fail, and that could be I mean a coin toss or dice roll, whatever it is, draw a card, um, and um, that's the story. Uh, you put enough of those together in a sequence, you get a story. Like. I would also immediately want to include the option of just saying, yes, I have succeeded in doing this. No luck involved, but then you get to potentially have luck to see yes. if there was any complications or anything, because it's well, coming a lot more common than it used to be. Yeah, but that's a different narrative, right? So we're talking about, I'm, I was talking about the very simplest, like, here, here's the thing you see all the time. Like, it's a, it's a pass-fail yeah. mechanic. And yes, you're right. I think the 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 fail forward or flail forward uh, wow. mechanics uh, are are more common because they recognize the fact that um, you don't want a role bringing the story to a halt. You don't you don't want a role to end in a fail state generally. Right. So the yeah. fails, the fails, like recognizing that the fails can bring a story to a halt in a way that's really uncomfortable for everybody at the table, not just the players, but also the, the person who, who's running the game going like, ah, fuck, they were really supposed to pass that check. Because right. I, I, I don't know if that's happened to you, but that's happened to me. Uh, and uh, you go, uh, all right, well, I didn't anticipate this story having to go in this direction. 
and and you, you realize that you're in this place where like the story's in a failed state the game's still going right people are still like oh, deciding what to do but in your head you're going ah, I, gotta, I gotta do something um or the players are recognizing that they're in a place where they don't want to play because of something because of how the role went and how this like the, the failed state of the role played out that's happened too i'm sure yeah that's <laughs> something that i've noticed is that very often you get into situations in rpgs especially where it's like one of these options will lead to like a half dozen possible branches and the other one basically hits a brick wall mm. this so, is something that i basically learned don't roll in that situation go with the one that has the more options and roll for that maybe right so there always needs to be the second arm of that binary of even if it is a fail of a task i guess it's just a it's not necessarily a stop it's a um a new branch um and as long as that branch continues then you're getting to a point where you are designing a unique story so i think mm. in terms of like the the mechanics itself what you're saying is that a narrative can be constructed from a series of branching uh uh, decision points or, or or event points where um, you could have some determinants of what leads you to one branch or another, whether that's a player's choice or um, just saying yes or um, like doing a coin toss. But then you'd have to think of each branch must then lead to another decision point. So it's more like your game must be an engine that provides a series of branching points and then some resolution mechanic to solve which branch the narrative must go down if that makes sense yeah i mean to me it's like uh you're you're like talking about a series of loops really because you want the thing to be able to loop back on itself or loop into another uh another scenario more or less like either like you go uh, there's a pass-fail thing, and then, okay, cool, so it, you you pass, right? Okay, so the next thing that happens, some narrative happens about how you did the thing and the benefits you got from that, and then you come to another pass-fail thing and it loops back, right? Right. So, well, that actually means that you can describe the simplest narrative of a game is basically a loop where the gameplay goes, I do a thing, it causes something to happen, the thing that happened causes me to have to do another thing and as long as you just keep going through that in circles then you have a story in a game because you keep having to do things in relation to the things that the previous thing you did caused yeah that's why that failing forward is such a compelling statement because you would never want your loop to end where it exits off of you know you you went down one of these branches through either your own mechanics or through choice and it ended up in your game is over um there should always be that continuation of the loop so that people stay on the ride of the game yeah i want i want i want to make a real quick addendum to what you said uh the game's uh the the problem is not the game being over the the problem is the game not being fun anymore not being engaging anymore because the, the game can be over and people can want us to play again immediately or jump back in that's but but i think it, it's much more uh salient for our purposes to talk about it in terms of like the engagement going away but is that is that the fun is lost because you 
no longer have the choice. Like you no longer are able to say, I am ready to get off the ride, or this is a satisfying point to get off the ride. It's That's an interesting question. I, Some people I like that. Also include situations where it's like, I don't even want to make a choice any longer. Right. Because I have definitely mm -hmm. experienced those cases where it's like, I'm still playing, but I don't want to still be playing. Mm -hmm. What? So, okay, interesting. Let's dig into that for just a second, because that, that yeah. what what led to that for you in that moment, if you remember? Uh, it's happened a couple of times. I think it it's generally when. I think it's generally been after uh, something happens in like either the game mechanics or the story itself where it was like something happened that not only was it just I did not want it to happen but it was something that's like oh because of the game mechanics your character does something that's completely out of character it doesn't actually feel like you're playing the game anymore and now you're in a situation that it's like well, why are you even here? Like, what's the point uh, of even playing anything? Because you're not actually playing your character at this point. So, so what? What I'm what I'm hearing is you detected an acute loss of agency at that point. Yeah, like to the point that it's not just I have no choice, but it's like the choice was made for me in a way that did not make sense for the setting, the characters, anything that was going on. Like, it's like when, like if you see any writer who's relatively new, mm -hmm. like you can usually detect it because the characters in the story, whether it's a RPG or a video game or a novel or a movie or whatever, they will do something because it furthers the plot, not because it makes any sense for them to do it. Mm -hmm. And if you get that kind of situation where it's like, you're not giving them options so that they select it because it makes sense and it happens to further the plot, but it's like, it's furthering the plot regardless of any sensical reason to do so. It's like, Basically, anybody here, you probably noticed the thing in like horror movies where it's like, don't go through that door. Like, you know, yes. this is the stupidest thing you could possibly. And they did it. Right, right, right. So, and so it's it, it, so, so I'm hearing it was like a, a loss of agency combined with this sort of uh, the, the narrative went totally off the rails. Yeah. Because I, I feel like there are times when a game can remove agency and do it in such a way that it feels um, correct to the player. Sometimes it can, and yeah. it'll be fine. Like yeah. you can sometimes have a little bit of a loss of agency and it's totally fine. Like, okay, you wake up at 3am in a dark alley and you've got stitches on your side. What do you do? And it's like, okay, that's horrifying, but this leads it into potentially interesting story. Uh -huh. So just to, to put what you're all saying into like a, a concrete list, I think I'd say that the game must provide first the branching events where you can make a decision, some resolution mechanic to determine the next branch, and then third, I'd say some overall um, 
um, I guess, incentive or overall package of why you continue to make decisions, why you continue to go down the trees. And there should be some level of um, consistency to that, where it's not only just like you're, you're, you have that sense of agency that it is meaningful to you to do this, or that it feels believable in a sense. It's not just like, well, you're only going down this path because the, the plot needs you to go down this path. It's very much like you are uh, engaging in this story in a believable or a meaningful way to you. I, I, I think uh, that it's probably accurate, but I would want to expand it to say that there's different players that want different things. Some players right. will totally be okay if there's just a mechanical reason to keep playing. Some people will be okay if there's just a narrative reason to right. keep playing. It's probably a good idea to make sure that you always have both so that regardless of which players you have, then they're going to be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's gotta be oh, it's gotta be inherently engaging. Like the 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 the, the making the choices has to be fun. Has to be an interesting part. So the right. choices themselves have to be interesting, otherwise you don't get that by like yeah. 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 So so they're interesting either in the sense of providing like reward or narrative incentive or something that, that continues to make the next choice exciting. Where it's like, do I uh, rob this village of all of their wealth? Well, there are consequences and there are rewards for it. And that incentivizes me to continue making these decisions because I will have new decisions that will be interesting to me and I will be rewarded or incentivized to continue making more decisions. Mm. And that, at least... Yeah. I think that does make sense. Like, as long as it's like, it feels good to make the decision. Like, even if it's not a decision that you like, like, here's two really shitty decisions. You have to pick between one option or the other. You're not going to like either one. And it might bother you that you have to make it, but it's like, what do you think is the lesser of two evils in this situation? That can still be entertaining. It, you can also have situations where it's like two completely mundane decisions where it's like, why am I even making a decision here? It doesn't change anything. It doesn't make it more fun. Like, why are we even like, why do I care whether the walls are blue or red? Does it change anything after this point? Right. Like, I don't care we were we just said we were tidying up the place it was going to look better i don't care whether it's blue or red in this particular case some other player might i do not hmm. so in that sense you want your like what what does that say about what your your feedback is that you want to give or be given i don't think that it's going to depend on the player, but knowing who your players are, setting up information for the GM and the player so that they're aware that they will have different things that they consider to be interesting, and that the game basically guides the GM and the players into decisions that they have decided to be valuable to them. So... If mm -hmm. nobody cares about interior design, don't spend like the entire next three sessions trying to pick out how pretty the inside of your 
your castle is if nobody cares about it. If everybody is really engaged and they really like this kind of thing, because that's the kind of thing this group of players likes, then it's totally okay to do so. The game should basically put it in front of the players that if this is not interesting to you, then don't worry about it. If it is interesting to you, then we should explore more of that. Hmm. Okay. So I'm I'm trying to I really like that. I'm I'm trying to boil this idea down to like fundamentals. So I love this idea of your if you're designing a tabletop role-playing game, you need the three elements, the branching events, a resolution mechanic, and some incentive for making decisions. So what you're saying is the resolution mechanic, or whatever that is, whether it's decisions or um, like rolling the dice, it needs to be informed by that aspect of what do you care about? What are the players moving mm. towards? And, and that third element, that overarching incentive, needs to feed into the resolution mechanic so that you're able to make informed decisions and build some, some anticipation of what your end result will be, that then you can go back to the next branching event with some uh, new resolution or some new idea to inform like your, your current game state, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it is important that not just that the resolution mechanic covers these, but that the point that leads up to the resolution mechanic there should be something that basically checks whether the resolution mechanic should even be used in this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, well, no, I, I agree. I, I think it's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, does this, <clears throat> is, is it worth rolling dice right here? Or is this a foregone conclusion? Mm-hmm. No, you're getting it. Yeah. So I, I completely agree with that. And the dice should matter when, when it's dramatic, when it's, I mean, that, that seems to be, like, the thing where it's like, okay, the story hinges on this. This is, like, the, the, we don't know what happens up to the, after this point because somebody just lit dynamite and tossed it in the room. So, right. something, in the next five seconds, something bananas is going to happen. And that bananas thing is somebody's, like, going to catch the dynamite and, like, like, slice the fuse off with a knife or something like that. Or, you know, everybody's going to drop it. It's going to go off and, you know, like people are going to start jumping out the windows. Or, uh, you know, something crazy is going to happen. We don't know yeah. what. Set up and yeah. exit. And then yeah, somebody... a cartoonish explosion sound and they burp. Right. Sure. <laughs> that too. Totally valid. But the point is, I think here, that something has happened. You have a decision-making point where people are going to do something. And it's interesting to make this decision because the players are like, oh, we enjoy this kind of a situation. But then we're talking about the the dice roll, not the decision. It doesn't have to... I don't think it has... Like, a conflict resolution does not necessarily have to be randomized, but... Okay. It could be a decision. It could be, this is what I want to do. Roll the dice to see if you're going to do it. Like if right. even if somebody's like, I try to grab it and slice the, the, the like or whatever it's called off with right. the fuse off with the knife. It's like that's the decision, and then you roll to see if it works. But mm-hmm. the roll to see if it works first has to go through the decision, 
and the decision for Sass to go through, do we even want to deal with this? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a really interesting point. Yeah. And I I think like I'm thinking about role playing games right now and how they're designed and where that decision point comes in of where do we need to deal with this and whether that's like in in like a, a Dungeons and Dragons sense where it's like the game master says make this check or the rules themselves say when you try to attack you must roll. Um, and those are the decision points, right? Those are the something good happens or something not so good happens. Is that? Well, I, I, th I think I think Kat's saying like the decision is I decide to attack, and then and then the dice happens after that, and then that. Yeah, it's a separate part. Like yeah. if it's like the GM says, okay, your roll for um, evasion check or whatever, or roll for versus save versus death something like that like you've already bypassed the part that was the decision this is the resolution you didn't do the decision decision happened without you in that case mm -hmm. that's the acceptable loss of agency and for a lot of people yeah mm -hmm. like yeah, that... most players are okay with that yeah. i'm right, not that's... most people are right <laughs> You're you're saying that's the like role to save, but I'm saying that like generally what you'd expect is that a game would say, "It's your turn. What do you want to do?" Thank you. And that you are able to still make some choice about what your action looks like and whether or not it is successful or not successful. Yeah, hopefully so. But they are two distinctively different parts, and I think that's important when you're designing the narrative from the mechanical side of point because. If you don't recognize that these are two separate parts of the narrative, then you're not, you're basically unable to design mechanics right. that take advantage of that. Right. I, I think th what I meant maybe by the game master saying, like, make this check, it's more like you, you say, I want to do this action. And the game master says, okay, you are rolling these dice because it, it is now yeah. at a point where there is a mechanic in the game to, to help you make that decision. Mm -hmm. And not just like, oh, I want to track them. Well, okay, that works. And you just track them. And there's no no decision of yes or no. It is up to the game master to decide the resolution mechanic is kicking in at this point, or it's just we're continuing with the narrative. Yeah. There are some situations, D&D especially, things like you're just walking along, talking normally, having in-group conversation, and dungeon master is just like, uh, can I get a spot check from you? Right. Yeah. And it's like there was no decision that took place. That's different. Yeah, yeah. That's but true. it does it does happen in that, and I think that's important to distinguish the just random out of nowhere spot check, where you're rolling a die and the the GM has told you to do this, or the one where it's like, I want to try to just knock the door off its hinges and it's like okay then roll like a strength check or whatever you use for it in that game system i do think right they're distinctively different things and it is important to keep them distinct right so, yeah yeah so there's an idea of who is initiating the branch point or the branching event of there needing to be some kind of resolution to move forward and some of that could come from the game master where it says make this check and you will find out something or not find out something. Or the player can say, I want to apply my character's skill in this way or, or take some kind of action that will cause a different um, 
uh, outcome in the world, depending on whether it's successful or not. Are there other um, factors that create those branching points? What are the what are the ways that those branches mm-hmm. come to be or can exist, or is it just based off of the players? And is there a reason why it's the player who drives that and not I don't know the game by itself or off the top of my head just from what you were saying it makes me think that you could probably describe most of this as proactive reactive and passive mm. yeah i was just about to say the same thing keep going interesting yeah but if you're sorry i'm still thinking as i'm trying to talk here so the active things are like I want to do a thing. And that leads up to the die roll. Uh, The reactive thing is something has happened. What do you do in response to the something? And that leads up to your die roll. And then the passive thing is it's just do a die roll and you don't even know what the context for it is. It's just something that happens automatically. So automatic, so, so so there's three kinds of mechanical engagement. You're saying there's an active engagement, uh, in which case the player, right, there is mm-hmm. making a choice to 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 engage with the mechanic on purpose, right? There's a reactive mechanic where the player is engaging with the mechanic, right, but is prompted by the world, right, in this case, mm-hmm. the, the, with the GM sending in for the world. Uh, and then there's what's called that, that third one, where that passive one, where it may be the world acting on itself, right? And the player's not involved at all. So, so, yeah. so a, mecha- a mechanic happens, something mm-hmm. is adjusted in the world, but the player yeah. is n- none the wiser. Yeah, it's a little weird because the player in that, in the case of like, say, the D&D thing, like the spot check, like the random mm-hmm. spot check, it's like, it's calling on the player to do something, but they don't have any context of what it is they're doing, why they're doing it. It might just be like, roll a die and tell me what the, the result is. And yeah. it's like, okay, but why am I doing this and why can you not do this yourself? Well, no, but it's also it's also stuff like uh, this NPC is affecting this other NPC and the players mm-hmm. want to put their thumb on the scales of one of these things because they care about the outcome, but it's still... Like mm. in some sense, they don't, they don't, they're not doing anything. They may be, they may be saying, oh, we want to, you know, make it look like we're backing this guy or, you know, we want to, um, uh, moral support or physical support, whatever it is. Right. And, but you're trying to resolve like in, in, and it's not necessary that this is the case in most games, right? Because mostly most, there's a lot of games that will say, uh, just decide what happens. Or, right. or or mm-hmm. compare the two numbers and don't bother rolling. There are other games that say, no, this is something that you know the players could affect if they wanted to. So make sure the mechanic happens. Yeah, I, I'd say that there's also a certain level of these mechanics potentially coming in with like the the passive idea, where it's not necessarily even involving the players directly or the characters, I guess, directly. But it could just be, you know, like Stars Against Number just has a system in place mm-hmm. where branching points are being created in the greater galaxy of planets at war with each right. other, actions at war. 
and passive decisions are being made and there are mechanics to resolve that, but it does influence the greater outcome of the world and that creates a new context for, for people to explore. Yeah. So I, I would say that that's also possibly in that passive group of the world is moving forward and the players don't necessarily have an input to it. Right, I the world, the world acting on itself through, right. through that, some mechanic. That, yeah. Yeah. that probably should exist in most mm -hmm. cases. Like, at least insofar as the players are aware of what's going on. Like, if the whole galaxy is changing, but it never affects the players because, I don't know, they're playing Warhammer 40k and their planet is isolated by a warp storm. It has no contact with the outside galaxy. Then it doesn't really matter what's going on in the outside galaxy. Except they're, they're, they're still the Tau, which are dumb. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just to, uh, another way of thinking at this, just to, to get into it, the proactive approach is a player acting against the world. The reactive is the world acting against the player, and there's like some decision point. Passive is the world acting against the world. And is there a category for the player acting against the player as a decision point? Is that something different, or is that just... It, it's both it's both the active and reactive at the same time. Yeah, I think right. usually it speaking. Sort of depends because like some games will have separate mechanics for it for like yeah. whether you're trying to backstab one of your party members or trying to convince them of something, like is this handled mechanically or figure it out yourselves? And then there's also a lot of games will look into what if the character is fighting themselves personally, like not pvp fighting another player but they're actually fighting their own self yeah, right for some reason and sometimes there are mechanics for that like um a lot of games have vices for example sure. where it's like my character is an alcoholic they want to go get drunk that would be a really bad idea right now what happens right Right. Roll, roll to roll to X. Roll to stay sober, or roll to not do something stupid, or you know, roll to maintain uh, your uh, morality checkboxes or whatever it is. But yeah, I, I totally see where you're coming from with that because there's a that that's like the the world being acted. That's the reactive thing, but it's coming from within the character. You know, it's a voluntary. So it was a voluntary choice at one point, right? Because the player said. Okay, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna volunteer to have this disadvantage, with, with the, idea in place that this is going to lead to an interesting story at some point, uh, and, um, and so so the arising of that. So it, in some games, it's an active choice, right? Because like in Blades in the Dark, right, indulging your vice is something you do in order to recover from stress. Mm -hmm. In uh, the World of Darkness games, uh, I believe indulging your vice gives you back a point of willpower. Okay. Anyway, point but they're voluntary choices. But the, but in fate, in fate, your aspects can be compelled by the GM against your will, which is interesting because hmm. that's a different kind of thing. I think slightly. This is interesting but i think it actually goes back to the original premise of d 
the episode too is like the narrative through the mechanics like when you set up a mechanic like this like you set up a vice mechanic or something that you consider to be important to your character this is a mechanic that once it's built into the system the primary purpose of it is going to be it will generate narrative at some point later on mm-hmm. right you're, you're you're instantiating an inherent conflict and conflict generates narrative usually so yeah. okay well yeah sorry yeah go ahead that was very interesting i'm going to write that down because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I i love the idea of these are these are mechanisms to instantiate conflict, um, and that that conflict is what is causing that that branching event. It's a conflict either of the player against the world, where they want to exert some kind of will, or the world acting on the player, and there's some kind of conflict there, an internal conflict player to themselves, and the external conflict world against world. And all of these are really the the source of that branch of narrative, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's actually it, it, technically speaking, it's an update. It's it's, right. like, it's 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 running an update on the next frame in of the story in this case, and you need to know which thing is you know if it goes to one or zero. You know you could run it. You could run a game as a cellular automata if you wanted to. You know with certain right. update rules in place to you know it's going this the game state's going to change to A or B based on this thing and then we are going to go forward based on that you're, you're running a whole bunch of those all the time you know kind of in your head when you're playing an rpg uh but that's 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 the thing it's like you have these these, these updates you're just clicking forward and seeing what happens and it, but it's the conflict is inherent in that because you have an inherent duality in the this not that moment right the types of conflicts are kind of important, I think, as well, because different levels of gameplay also tend, and different types of games, and different types of character designs within the games will alter the types of conflicts that mm-hmm. characters will get into. Like when you're relatively low powered, like say a low level character in D&D or if you're in an, another system which is just low powered in general most of your conflicts are either going to be with yourself because you can always be at equal power to yourself or at least try to be you can be at equal power perhaps or at least slight disadvantage for dealing with somebody else that on a one-on-one basis as you start getting out into larger areas like dealing with an entire town or whatever your capacity 100% true I think that's why the, <clears throat> I think that's why the leveling structure of D and D feels so natural as a story arc to many people because it's it's a story of increasing capacity to, mm. to deal with problems and uh, to the point where it's fantastical, right? Because mm. you start, you know, the, the the I think the the most generic version of the fantasy that it plays into you start as a low level character, which is 
you know, basically uh, Luke Skywalker still on the farm. And yeah, then fighting by the end, rats right. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then by the end of Return of the Jedi, you fought your evil dad, the Empire, the Emperor of the entire freaking galaxy, and like a Rancor, which is twice your size, an entire tired sail barge full of dudes who right. you know this game. You know, like it's, there's there's this all this stuff that's happened, and your 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 the capacity to deal with bigger and bigger problems grows as the story gets goes on. And so the, I think that's why the leveling thing is so is such a uh shows up over and over again right it's not going to go away because its structure is that of the epic narrative where your 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 competence grows as the problems get bigger and the range of what you do changes like i know your game rob has like this built directly into it as does mine now Mm -hmm. like the idea that you start off very low and localized but as you get stronger then it introduces new elements like it's not just the immediate area it's now covering a broader area of effect just because your character is now capable of dealing with it once you've dealt with most of the basic immediate things like your character is no longer going insane about what they themselves are going to do it's like now you can actually mentally deal with the fact that there are other people that have problems because you've mostly gotten over your own personal problems. Or but at least you manage them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, as long as you get to the point where, like, your character can now actually deal with the personal stuff that's going on, they are now capable of dealing with other stuff that's going on around them. Like, you kind of have to have narrative structured in that way to some degree, mechanically, just because if you don't, then you basically wind up with situations where you bite off so much more than you can true that you can't even make sense of what the narrative is that's going on around you. It's like, okay, um, I have to make this decision, it's like, this is going to affect the entire fate of the world. I don't know anything about the world. I'm living on a farm. I I know oh, how I know how to shovel shit. This is my skills set at the moment. I don't know how this is going to affect like interplanetary relations in this galaxy spanning empire. Mm-hmm. I can't do this yet. I can build up to that point eventually, but I can't do it yet. And I if think I, I you go. I, I just love the point you were making. Yeah, I just realized there's one more point there, which is that if you try to force the character to make these decisions before they can even understand what it is they're doing, then it's meaningless decisions. Like you can't hold it against them. It's like, well, you caused a war between these two factions. Like I didn't even know they existed. Yeah, I think that's okay. That's true. Well, that's an interesting. Okay, so hmm, that raises an interesting question for me because it's like, okay, how, when the player chooses to make a decision, how much context? Uh, I like do because some games will do that or encourage. People, well, I don't know. Do do some games do that? Is it? I I haven't really seen too many games. That I can think of off the top of my head 
where the players act and then the game encourages the world to uh, radically change from an act in such a way that the players had no sense of what they were doing. Because yeah, I think, yeah, there's, there, then there's no um, connection between what yeah. your action is and what the consequence is, right? That right. feels like, you know, you're the, like the card game Flux, where it's like mm -hmm. you play a thing and it has almost no bearing because you have no idea what's going to happen by the time it's your turn next. Like it, right. it, it feels somewhat disconnected of like, is there a point to what I'm doing when there's no um, way that I could predict what that outcome is going to be? Right. I don't think that's satisfying, or at least I, I can't imagine it being satisfying. Yeah, I, actually, having played Flux a couple of times, like I, I was, I was fascinated by it because I was like, huh. This is weird. I don't feel like I'm in control. I'm playing a game. It doesn't feel like I'm doing much. Yeah. But I'm having fun. So what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The thing that I've noticed on that is it's the different it's the difference between basically consent and informed consent. There is a very big difference between these two things. Like if you say, mm -hmm. yeah, sure, you can totally wipe out all the goblins in the area i guess and then the game comes back and slaps you for it and it's like the goblins were the only things that were stopping these other monsters from completely overthrowing the area and destroying everything and it's your fault because you got rid of the goblins and it's like but i didn't know it wasn't informed so Blaming me for not knowing the consequences of my actions doesn't really feel that good. Mm -hmm. To a degree, you can be like, oh, well, something worked out right. And I didn't intend to do that, but I I guess it all worked out. So it feels kind of good to some degree. But it's like, it feels better when your plans that you made intentionally come to fruition because you chose for them to do that. Mm -hmm is better than when things just kind of happen to work out by sheer blind luck and you did not have anything to do with it. Yeah, I can, I can hear, I hear you on that. I, it, hmm. going back to that, the goblin example you just referenced where it's like, okay, we kill all the goblins and then the bigger monster appears. Right. And the, and the point of the adventure, right. Let's say the module, uh, or whatever it is, because we're talking about goblin extermination, so we're assuming D&D here, I guess. Uh, so so let's say the point of the adventure is to exterminate all the goblins, and then, like, you realize, oh, the goblins were keeping the drow at bay, right? And now and now the drow are coming up to the, 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 the goblins because the goblins are no longer resetting all the traps and blah, 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 blah. That, to me, just seems like the natural progression of a D&D campaign. So I, I, I hear what you're saying. In that it's it's arbitrary and somewhat dumb, and also, and also, I feel like that's that's just that's that's how how a lot of games ex are expect you to run it, and that's okay. I think I think it's just like hey, it, it but that's I think it, we can also recognize that that's the that feels like a lot of how modern writing is, where it's like this happens, then this happens, then this happens. Then another thing happens where 
as okay. opposed to saying like this happens because this happened mm. therefore this therefore 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 and you can you know i i think it depends in that case like how how you run it like if you if you are finding like drow skulls and whatnot in the goblin warrens and you're like why do these goblins have all the all this drow gear this is weird uh and then you kill all the goblins and the drow here. You go, oh, shit! That makes right. a lot of sense now. Yeah, but, but but just doing it without the foreshadowing, right? Does the thing you're talking about, where it's like, well, mm. this seemed completely arbitrary because we needed a new challenge. Yeah. Uh, so it really it the the the, uh, the the length of the thread, to use my game zone metaphor, that start mm. like that that starts um, how far back it goes. Start builds significance as the game goes on. So, like stuff you find earlier, and I think it's a matter of the game allowing players to sort of have a lot of those things to choose from, and then picking the ones that feel interesting. And the combination of those things will probably result in a narrative that. that but the, but the thing is, is those the things they didn't choose are also implicit in the story already. I think on a mechanical level you can break it down into a few variants. So consider the idea of what you said, like this happens and this happens, this happens. They're disjointed. They don't make a lot of sense. Like Mm -hmm. you couldn't have predicted one would happen from the other. Then you can have almost like this sort of, um, not quite whodunit, but like, you know, the concept of like, um, you can possibly predict what's going to happen because there's clues laid out like if we kill off all the goblins we might run into drow problems we should probably take that into consideration but that's also something that you can build into the game mechanically so that one leads into the other Mm -hmm. but then there's also a setup so that you could set it up so that every time that you would have a situation like that um instead of just we might chance upon this we might figure it out instead no very early on you run into say a goblin high priest who starts telling you you can't destroy us if you do then this world is doomed and this is exactly what you are going to cause and this is going to be your fault uh-huh. Now you have to actually make the decision actively. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll deal with that when we get to it. Or we don't believe you. Or maybe we will let you live and figure something else out. Like that kind of decision process. Now that you know what the potential consequences of your actions are, you can make a much more interesting narrative out of it. I agree. I agree the foreshadowing it. Like that, I, I, I think I think I think it's just a it, one of the I, you see it with so many GM GM guys like how to do better GMing. I said you know you read enough of those things with certain things and foreshadowing is definitely one of them. So like having having stuff that you want to you want to throw in the game nice and early like that. I mean, you know, yeah, putting those those little prophecy moments and just put them everywhere. Just yeah. doesn't matter because the, the players will only remember the ones that actually happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I, I like that idea too. Just inserting more threads can never really hurt you if 
if you mm -hmm. at some point get to tie these threads back into your story, then they connect and they make sense. And, and that creates this moment of, oh, I know you. You're the daughter of the guy that we just spoke with in this town. And he mentioned you. And, and that makes the world feel alive and more full or, or something like that. Even those little threads are enough. Um, what I was going to go back to for a second was uh, what you mentioned about the the idea of like making the informed decision. And I think that that's interesting, but you're sort of exchanging your your lack of information in one aspect with another, where you're like, okay, now I know what the consequence is of killing these goblins, but now if I choose to go side with the goblins and help them fight this like threat that they believe is uh, impending, I don't know if I'm going to be able to deal with that. I don't know the nature of it. I don't know what it wants. And I've now exchanged my knowledge of the situation with a larger unknown, maybe. Um, and I think that ultimately you always want that aspect of there's something that is an unknown quantity or an unknown element of making this decision because then otherwise the game is somewhat solved where you could, you could write down the algorithm mm -hmm. of, you know, what is the maximum benefit to the most people and, and therefore my character is this aligned and I, I will choose the, the best situation outcome for, for everybody. So I think that unknown element is what makes it exciting to, to tell the narrative. I don't think it's even the unknown element specifically, though that does help. I think that it's more that, like, every individual, every player, every character, they're sometimes not always going to be the same on this either, will have opinions of what is going to help the most people. Hmm. Because, like, if your character happens to be an elf or some race that doesn't have a problem with the drow so much, or they're like, maybe we can reason with them, maybe there's something we can do with them. It's like, they might have a totally different take than the dwarf who's like, yeah, just kill them all. I mean, they're just right. elves. It doesn't matter. Like, they don't count they don't factor into helping the greatest number of people because they're not people because you know, dwarves and elves, they don't get along. So I don't think it's going to be consistently just, this is always going to lead to exactly the same situation that there's a solved thing that can happen because as soon as you include a thinking mind into the situation they're going to screw things up in ways that you could not have imagined <laughs> mm -hmm. and i mean this is one of the the biggest banes towards a gm in general is like the idea that the definition of a player is that which throws all of the gm's plans into disarray mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. that's also the greatest strength of the players is that yeah because you have these players screwing up all of your plans, it's also meaning that they have agency in the world, they're having fun. They're also coming up with ideas that you could not have thought of. Yeah. Because no, it's like, this is your dumb idea. I could not have come up with something this stupid. But because you did this dumb thing, we all had more fun for it. Right. I think, I think a game that gets out of the way of that happening is probably better for it. I think, I mean, in my opinion, like, the, the, it shouldn't, 
the the GM stuff shouldn't be that scripted. If if I think if it is, it's it's it can it can be a problem. I clearly it's a problem. <laughs> it's a lot of lot of lot of chatter on forums about like how do I keep my players from going off the rails? It's like Don't. how about how about yeah how, how about how about the game is not based on keeping your players on rails for one thing. Uh, that that would be a fine start, and then also uh, you know let them let them have what they want. It'll be terrible, right? You know, yeah, well, that's my point towards. Yeah, sorry for cutting you off, Mark, but just to reiterate, point towards you is that if you try to leave that element of uncertainty in there you don't actually need to do that like if you give the players something that they can theoretically solve this and make the perfect correct solution they're players they're not going to they're going to pick an option that you listed out like this is the correct solution that will solve everything this is the worst pos- the worst case scenario they mm-hmm. chose this other option that it turns out your worst case scenario was wrong. They found something worse. Yes, I agree. And that's, that's the one they go with. Totally. Right. Yeah, that's why that's why I don't bother to make the like I I I I wrote the apocalypses out of my game and just let the players come up with them. <laughs> Way worse than right. you know, like that it's part of it is just like, yeah, what's the worst that could happen? And let let, let them tell you because that's yeah, there's there's no bottom. Like they so, they will instantiate their own worst fear, and that's exactly what. Well, that's what my game wants, but you know, but but yeah, let them, it, basically, yeah. I completely agree. I think that's like the where the stories become the most fun for me as a game master. I guess mm-hmm. is when I don't have any idea of what's going to happen. Yeah. But in terms of the the design like looking back at the what are the the three core steps of like you need the branching events you need the resolution mechanic you need the overarching uh, incentive to move it forward yeah. planning out where these branching event goes and having a resolution mechanic to determine it like it it seems almost too basic where you'd almost want your resolution mechanic to say um, you know you're leaning towards uh, pass or fail as opposed to you have 18 different options or you have an infinite amount of potential options here and it's up to you as a a group of players to narratively decide what that direction is going to look like and then you will have future branching events or options. Um, Those are the hard parts to predict where they go in and I guess they don't necessarily come up in mechanical sense, but they come up in narrative sense where it's like... No, yeah. they come up. They come up in, in in mechanical sense because the rules are constraints on the players' agency that the players are accepting in order to play the game. Which is so, fine guess, too. Like you don't want yeah. to have like eighteen different options for them at a time. They'll just get yeah. analysis paralysis. So like I don't know what to do with this. It's like okay, that's when the mechanics come in. They like okay, we're yeah. going to limit this to like here's three. three. Most. three seems to three yeah. to five is basically the limit for most people if you give them three to five options that's enough that they can weigh the differences between them and they have some leeway to work with but much more than that and they just they don't know what to do with it but, or, but is that as 
is that as true for it is your turn in combat and you can have this list of three actions to do or to the point of the goblins have said that destroying them will uh, create calamity upon the world and you must decide whether you wipe them out, save them, or, or mm-hmm. ally them. Like, it is the same. Like it, so. it's, a, yeah. it's a very weird thing, but it has actually been studied pretty carefully mm-hmm. that like human brain on average can from the vast overwhelming majority of people can only handle three pieces of information at the same time if you try to do a puzzle that requires somebody to keep four separate distinctive numbers in their head at the same time most people will find it nearly impossible uh same it goes even when it's a narrative mechanic or when it's in combat it's basically the same like you can handle a little bit more like if you have time to think about it if you can write it down but in terms of actual solid pieces of information you can only handle the three to five i I think yeah i think um there i mean the way the way most games do that is they have a long you know a longer list of skills but most of those skills you can you can eliminate immediately just by by virtue of looking at them right so like if you're in a situation where the the let's let's take uh, let's take a non D and D example and go with Blaze in the Dark for a second. If you're in playing Blaze in the Dark and you are uh, narrating that your character is uh, moving on into a gang's hideout through through uh, hideout through an alley, and you encounter one of the uh, one of the gang, how you deal with that guy? Uh, there's certain things that won't that won't be apparent to you as a player right away that you you know you might you might choose to hunt and you know take a uh, uh, um, throw a dagger at this guy from from a from a controlled position or like use a like a hand crossbow or something like that or you might try and approach him and uh you know i can't remember what the corrals thing is but you know talk to the guy and, and sort of like convince him like to, to to leave his post maybe or you know but there are things like that won't work like uh i'm gonna do uh a tinker and then you'd be hard pressed to like say like okay how are you going to deal with this guy by tinkering with him? or or t- you know and then you might have to come up with another another thing but a whole bunch of those options aren't going to be aren't going to be salient uh, so so it's the same like it's not five three to five options period it's just three to five options that you care about I think is I think it's, that's real it's, yeah. That's interesting because I feel like the the idea is really to provide people with like a, a broad overview of like, well, I can think of, you know, you, I want to tinker and make a, a device that will go off in the alley beside me in three minutes so that he goes to investigate it and hopefully I will distract him or whatever. Like, But the, the I, I get your point. It's just I think that there are sort of these decision points that are maybe more open-ended and some that are very much more closed where you say like there are you you attack and you successfully hit him or you don't successfully hit him and those are your options or you have like this open-ended situation of there is a guard in front of a door and you have a multitude of ways of trying to get past around or with or like you you can uh choose your approach for right right let me, let me clarify a little bit i don't mean that uh 
an individual player is going to be um, choosing from those. Like that player is going to have a playbook, and they're going to have like five skills at most that they're oh, that they're good at. And then another player is going to have a different five skills. So they're, they're so a, a bunch of like a bunch of those skills aren't even going to be on the player's mind as far as like I'm you know they're not going to be reaching for their zero dice skills in that in that situation is what I'm saying. Like the game mechanics are going to eliminate a bunch of options for them. Hmm. Um, and and they're not going to be the same options eliminated for each player, and that's what makes it interesting. So like players are going to be different, at better at different things, what makes them viable in different situations. But yeah. that's still part of a constraint that the game is placing on their agency, because like the player who's the um, uh, the face is not going to be the guy who's going to use reach for the tinker skill to to distract the guard. He's going to reach for his face skill or maybe like a, a quiet a quiet kill or something like that is what I'm saying. So yeah. there, there's already mechanical constraints that are that are limiting the players based on the choices they made prior to the situation they even, they're even in. There's I... a lot of stuff that goes into that. So for ex- I want to give an example from my game uh, just for a second because uh, I very explicitly built this into like a branching architecture. So like in combat, for example, um, physical combat mostly based off like a combo system so you might have a few choices like you'll let's say you're fairly late into the game you'll probably have three to five combo openers you could start with it's like i could bleed the target or i could poison them oh wait the my ally already poisoned them so i don't need to do that i can open with a bleed or i can take advantage of their poisoning Next thing, continue your combo. It's like, okay, they're bleeding and they're poisoned. I can take advantage of these. I have other stuff for if they're stunned, but they're not stunned. So I can basically ignore that. I don't have to worry about it. I only, I'm only looking at the things that are actually relevant in this situation. And because each step of the way, it's narrowing it down to what you actually have access to you don't have to worry about it at any given point. And it goes in other situations as well. So like stealth, you don't have to worry about your stealth skills unless you've basically run out of ideas for everything else and you're going to get caught somehow. In which case, then you look at your stealth skills. Before that, it's like um, one of the situations early on in my first playtest was they needed to sneak into a building. There were alarms. They did not know that. They had an illusion spell. It was the only spell they knew. They created an illusion, basically a, a sphere around the ball, which made, they made the illusion that they could see through the ball by making the ball invisible. So they just looked through it and it's like, oh, there's an alarm on the other side of the wall because it's not part of the wall. We know there's an alarm there. We can right. disarm it. If they had, like, a ton of different options, they probably would have gotten a little bit more confused, but this is why you gradually add things a little bit at a time so that players start to get a feeling for what options they have it's like yeah you might have 20 different spells at your disposal but you had these introduced over 
20 different sessions of the campaign. So you had time to get used to each one as you got it. You know what each one's good for. You know when you're facing this kind of a situation, well, there's only three or four that actually matter for this situation. So I'm just going to look at those ones and I can yeah. ignore the rest. So yeah. it works that way. A game that does that, uh, I would like to point just strongly point in a contrast, Shadow of the Demon Lord versus Standard D&D, both are D20 games, both have basically advanced in spellcasting. Shadow of the Demon Lord, when you pick a spell school, basically one or two spells per level, and that's it. Like, it's very, it's like, this is what it does. It does this thing, and then as you get better, it does better versions and more expansive stuff. But the, I really enjoy and Every player, every group that I've played it with has also found the the not needing to look through uh, 20 or so options for spells at first level quite refreshing. Yeah, I, I can see that. I know that there's a lot of paralysis with like, oh, you're playing D&D for the first time and you've chosen Druid. Okay, uh -huh. here is their spell list. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, or, or cleric. I mean, yeah, exactly. then you're, you're picking domains or wizard. You're picking like, you know, like, well, it's a different cleric list, right? But so, like, here's yeah. your cleric list, and here's your bonus spells that you could pick. So check, pick, pick spells from pick your domains based on the spells that aren't on the yeah. cleric list for optimal crossover. And you're like, exactly. oh, come on, yeah. It, really? it just yeah. For, for me, it seems an interesting contrast to like what I've done with Praxis, where it mm -hmm. seems like your decisions are so open-ended. Like not only are are you as the player driving when these inflection points are, like when these events are taking place, because the, yeah. the game master just sets up the story and it's up to the players to drive the action. But also, as the game master, I have no idea what actions the players are going to take or in what direction these like they are completely in control of exactly how they approach each situation because they can really set what that skill looks like. Um, it works much better with your system as well because like your system doesn't go into nearly the fine-tuned detail that mine does. Like I need to narrow things down because it's complicated. There's a lot of different potential moving parts. You have much broader options, but the options themselves are not as specific. So it's not as big of a problem. Like you can give the players and say, you can use spades something, or something magical, perhaps. And it doesn't really need to be super confined. The more in-depth your system is, and the more it it puts finer and finer details on things, the more you need to narrow down what options the players have, I find. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Because the the options for the player's mind is something magical, something physical, something whatever, intelligent or something, uh, you know, that, that's that's basically it. That's all they're thinking of. Is just Those like, are your choices. You've gone yeah, you have four, three to five options. There you go. Uh, emotional. Yeah, that's yeah. the last one. And that's it. Um, and But in, in terms of how do I approach this problem, I think it's a, a much broader question of, you know, mm -hmm. I can think of tons of different, uh, more finite explanations, um, but 
ultimately my decision point is I want to do something physical. What is the physical thing that I can do here? Well, I'll punch the guard in the face because he's in my way. Um, and, and that might not be as uh, detailed as a different system where it says I want to wreck versus I want to hunt versus something like that. But it, it gets the point across to there is some incentive of, of resolving your, your situation with this action. Mm-hmm. Or with the line of actions, I guess. Right. And then, but that's what that's what creates your narrative, right? Like the choice of what suit like strongly influences the the tonal quality of the narrative. Yes. And also of who that character is, I think is really the, yeah. the idea is that the, it continues to develop the character arc and that these four or however many players you have, various character arcs end up becoming what the story is feeling like. Because right, it's because very much influenced by the, the four people or the five people or whatever players that are at your table. Right. And, and also each action is inherently self-reflexive because... Yes. Each action says something about the action taker as much as it affects the world. Right. That's such a cool part of that game. It, it's it, it's fun. I I like it. I, I like how the narrative comes together in praxis. Um, yeah. But it, it is good to break it down in this way and see like, you know, what are the essential elements of of telling a story and how how can we you know, think about that when we're designing these mechanics in our games, because I think it's it's something that I think I feel I get lost in, where I focus too heavily on the mechanics themselves and not thinking of it in very broad strokes of, like, why am I doing this, or, or what is this adding to this core of, like, I just need these, these three basic elements of being able to tell a story. Um, And if it's not contributing to integrating these or refining these, then what is it doing? Um, So, yeah, that's that's kind of what I like to do from this talk. And just like Mm -hmm. I think we could probably spend another discussion just thinking about, like, what are the ways that we use the the resolution mechanics to tell a story? Because it's just how do we get that sense of, you know, predicting what that outcome is going to be, or even just how do we build the anticipation of what the the chain of events is going to look like, mm-hmm. and then how resolving it leads to some kind of um, catharsis and and some kind of end result for the players to feel like, oh, I've, I've done it. I've uh, yeah. had this predicted outcome, and I achieved it, or I didn't achieve it, and there was some outcome that I didn't want to have happen that I, I couldn't avoid anymore. And I yep. think that that would probably be a, a fun uh, thing to think about because that's what tells a good story ultimately. Those are the memorable moments of role-playing games for me. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that I can bake that into a game system and say, you know, you're making a decision and it has an impact because there's there's some of the weight behind this resolution mechanic. It's not just the roll of the dice and you go, oh, well, I got a one this time. Like, guess I'm not hitting anybody. The story ends there. Um, so yeah, nobody yeah. really tends to remember that. What I find players do tend to remember are when something strange or bizarre or extreme happens. Like it's not that oh I rolled a natural twenty. It's the story behind. I was I want to suplex the dragon 
And it's yeah. like, it's only because you rolled the 20 that you were able to do it, but it's because you suplex the dragon and it's like, well, this was absurd. That's why it's a story. Right. This is why it carries through. I, I found that if you allow in the mechanics for the players to do silly stuff, they will look at that and they'll be like, I have found a way to do something dumb. I'm going to turn this into a narrative point, regardless yeah. of whether it should be or not. Right. Uh -huh. I, I probably mentioned it before, but one of the things that happened in my game is I had set up mechanics for like character sizes and because some of the species could put like weapons on their tails. Tail length became a stat that was relevant. One of the players decided they were going to stack it in every place they could find it. Therefore, they now have a 4 foot 11 character that has a 32 foot long tail. <laughs> and they have They're a snake with legs on their head. Basically, it, it it's absurd, but because it's absurd, it has found its way into the narrative multiple times. <laughs> I, it has become this kind of special situation where it's like, yes, yeah, Sylvie enters the room and about 30 seconds later, the rest of her tales do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so... Right. So this is the kind of, okay. There's something so interesting about that particular thing that happens in games where you have, where only, only happens in games where you have exceedingly long, multiple lists of stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And those kind of like, like I, those situations happen in riffs. Those situations happen in, in GURPS. The situations happen in, uh, D&D 3.5, when you are using every single book from the start to the finish of, of that publishing run, um, the amount of stuff, like crazy shit that happens, only happens because you, because of the, like, virtually hundreds of thousands of constraints in place on your decisions, and you're like, okay, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, oh, I found something that works with this, and you, like, find the one option that makes you know, your build totally crazy because it adds, I don't know, charisma to your fucking whatever five times. I don't know. Take your pick. But it, you know, it shouldn't work, but it does. And now you have this character that's totally ridiculous, right? But the fact that they're totally ridiculous is making the game so much better for everybody that you don't, like, as the GM, right, you're like saying, well, this is, this is kind of fucking with my conception of the world. <laughs> it's like, and it's kind of fucking with like my, 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 cons my, my in-head consistency. But everybody's enjoying it, so I guess it's the thing now. That's, you, know, you hope the GM does that, and, and you hope the GM doesn't go like, alright, no, you can't stack all that shit together because it's crazy. And you go, yeah, but that's, that's, that's why I'm... Do you, you, do you see that that's the point here? And then yeah. it's weird. It's weird when games put that stuff in and then expect you to not use it. Yeah, I've seen that with some game design things where it's like, 
I've seen it a couple of times in tabletop RPGs. It's more common in things like, say, an MMORPG on a computer because there's like millions of people potentially playing it. You'll see the game designers will sometimes just be like, yeah, but you're having fun wrong. (laughs) Whereas in like a tabletop game, we do sometimes see that, but I don't see the point to this. It's like when I, like I specifically was reworking how the size charts worked and such and how I was trying to standardize it. And I explicitly went on my way to make sure that this character would be able to keep her absurdly long tails because I was like, this is stupid, but it has actually added a lot of fun to the game. Mm-hmm. I, it's funny when the enemy's trying to run away and they just get snuggled in floof and they cannot move. <laughs> and you can just kind of picture them like on the ground, like an arm sticking out of like the tail and like tapping out. Yeah. It's like, this is good. I don't want to ruin this. I'm going to make sure to preserve this. <laughs> <laughs> but but the thing is, I mean, that's, that's, you see, but you're doing the right thing as a designer by just saying, like, like when a player finds something goofy in your game, you're, you're not like, oh, that's not intended. I should write that. You're like, oh, that's not intended, but that's awesome. Let me make that sure this is. Yeah. Let me make sure, let me make sure I don't intended. accidentally take it out. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I think that's important. But, it, but it's designing story, right? That's the thing. It's like you, you get this character, this character now has a story in the real world, not in the game. That that is that it exists only by virtue of the fact that this this player hunted down all the the tail boosting. You have tail boosting, multiple tail boosting things. Mm-hmm. Your game is so fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> like my character all the tail boosting stuff and then like i just accepted that <laughs> for, for like a minute <laughs> like wait <laughs> tail boost stat sure yeah <laughs> a lot of games right. wouldn't have considered it no i know but thank you i appreciate and that. for me i just thought of it on a mechanical level it's like okay this determines the range at which you can hit with a tail blade like strap like a a weighted mace or something to the end of the tail it makes sense and it's like i don't want it to be like ridiculously overpowered so put some limitations on like this is how long it is this is your reach so of course somebody decided I'm going to stack all of the things to reach it across the room. Like they're they are actively at the moment trying to get to the point that they can outrange a bow. Hilarious. Because they thought the idea of like an archer goes to draw back a bow and then they get the bow taken out of their hands. And they thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Okay, yes, that is hilarious. Uh, the fact that your game supports that mechanically is crazy. Uh, <laughs> but Godspeed. I mean, you can keep on going on. That's great. Uh, I, yeah, sure. I mean, you're basically rewriting like some bananas version of Rifts from the inside out. You get that right? I don't know. 
I, I haven't so. actually read through all of Rifts. I've, I think I've read like half of one of the books. Oh, okay. Years ago. Well, Kevin Sampieri going to sue somebody. <laughs> I mean, no, he won't. If you, you're you're not even close. It doesn't even worry about it. I, that, that was a joke. Okay. He, but but he he but he is known for being extremely litigious. Ah, uh, oh well. Yeah. I don't think it's based on anything about. No, that. it's not. It really isn't. But no, the oh, oh, only I'm... only only the degree to which uh, craziness is an acceptable part of the setting. That's the only that's the only parallel here. Yeah, I'll, I kind of look at it like the um. I forget the term for it, but it's a style of anime like One Piece and stuff like that where they go to extreme lengths like this. Mm. Like, this should be something that I think makes sense if you have, like, a high magical setting. Like, mm. it's mm. always bugged me when I've watched things like D&D games and it's like they try to make it realistic and it's like, you're throwing fireballs! You have a genie that literally casts wishes for real. <laughs> and it's yeah, like, we right. want to keep this reasonable. It's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah, it's a cartoon. Yeah. Just lean into it. Yeah, it's like, this yeah. should feel like a Bollywood movie. It's Thank just you. What it should be. Yes. If you're going to include. Yeah, dance numbers. And... Yeah. Yep. I mean, literally, bards can do that. Bards can force a dance number. So, mm -hmm. like, that's not even that's not even outside the realm of possibility in D and D as standard rules is written. Like, right. yeah, you can just like, oh, it's a dance number. Okay, we're doing this. Tasha's like, what, it's auto's uncontrollable dance. Here's just yeah. dance. I think it's what's called. Yeah. So, bang, there you go, Bollywood, built into the game. We didn't have to do shit. Yeah. I mean, uh... I mean, so so okay, so GMs out there who are rolling super serious D and D settings. Knock it off. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's fine if you remove I mean, the magic, but as long as the magic is present, it doesn't make sense for it to be super serious. Like, Yeah, and by um, the way, those, all those fireballs necessarily use bat shit. Remember that? So you, you, all those wizards are going around just collecting bat turds, keeping them in their pockets, and if that's not a cartoon, well, man, you know, ch check your fucking PHP, brother. See, this is why the elves keep calling humans chimps. <laughs> it's not because we break everything and, and, and fuck everything that moves? I mean, that is the bard's area oh. of expertise. All right, then. <laughs> that was well, the dead that the conversation got. I think <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's the sign to to wrap up for for this week. Um, but I I love this discussion. Um, I had a really good time. Me too. Hey, that's good. Thank you. Thanks everybody for listening to Flail Forward. Uh, if you if you listened the whole way through, good for you. You get a reward, which is which is an invitation to uh, listen Your again. Therapist. <laughs> <laughs> They can see a therapist whenever they want. They don't need an invitation from us. No, but, but you probably but, uh, need one if you've been sitting through this. Really, uh, it's not far off. 
We're not responsible for the fees. No, uh, you not... chose to sit through this. Yes. So really, this is your fault. You did this to yourself. <laughs> well, now that you've had your weekly dose of gaslighting from a podcast, have a good weekend. Enjoy yourself. Good night. Isn't that where you are? Night. 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 Wait. Stop screaming. There we go. Stop recording. So one thing I wanted to mention um, before I ended uh, the chat today, what, not that it needs to be recorded, but um, we have been talking with each other almost every weekend for four years. Wow. Almost every Friday. It is the first message from Fred saying our first chat will be this Friday evening was January 7th, 2018. Whoa. Impressive. So. Uh, this is the you, four year anniversary. Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. Not of like uh, flow forward as it but, is, but uh, of this group, at least. This, this Discord channel has been around for four years. Wow. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Fuck. That's pretty crazy. That is crazy. Uh, I have I have been talking with you guys longer than a lot of my uh, friends that I have met in person. So, <laughs> yeah, that's actually true too. I, I like there's a lot of people up here in Portland that uh, like I consider very close friends. But like, yeah, no, I've I've, I've been talking to you guys that long for weeks. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. It is neat though. I still don't know what cat looks like. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've n I've never seen Cat or Cavoir. I don't think you will ever see Cavoir. I'm pretty sure he's actually just a metaphysical concept of a person. Fair. Could be. I'll I uh, he must go to like some gaming events at some point. I I don't know. Yeah, somebody must know what he looks like. Right? Like yeah. he must have been outside in public at some point. Some point he lives with other people. Exactly, but he appears yeah. to be a nomad or a vagabond or something. It's really weird. As far as we can tell, he's only ever interacted with other people in a ghillie suit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay. I, I I hope that after you know, when gaming events start to happen again in person, I would love to do something where we get to all hang out together yeah. i know jonathan tried to get this together as well at some point mm -hmm. i think that'd be amazing so yes yeah, agree it would be nice to, yeah i mean that might be interesting at some point we'll, mm -hmm. we'll see i've never been big on crowds but that's okay possible yeah i, I would happily fly anyone out if... that wants to come to portland because it's nice here it is nice. I was there once uh, before you moved there. Um, yes. And I, I, I enjoyed it. So my favorite band is from Portland. So I will oh, have what to. Band is that? What band is that? Uh, Portugal the Man. Port what? Portugal? Uh -huh. Yeah. The Man. Um, they had like a big radio hit a couple years ago. Um, but other than that, they have a lot of like interesting indie stuff. Um, uh, with Solo Alaska currently based in Portland, Oregon. Okay. Do I know yeah. any of these guys? Let me see. The, the one you've probably heard is Feel It Still that is on the radio the most, I think. Oh, I've not heard the radio in a long time. Okay. It'd be like cool. you, you're okay. walking into the, the supermarket and this is playing. So 
Um, okay. Here, I'll, I'll throw it in off topic. Sounds good. Um, but um, yeah, I really love their older stuff. Um, they were very chill and, and relaxed band. Um, so I, I really dig their sound. And then, uh, yeah, I, I went to Portland, I think like 2014 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, really liked the city. So that is interesting, huh? I also just discovered that the band I've been listening to for the last few days is from Prague in the Czech Republic, apparently. Oh, I've been there. Beautiful city. It is friggin' gorgeous. There's the album I've been listening to, and it is really nice, if you like Synthwave. Oh, if I you do love Synthwave. You'll probably hate it. But mm, no, I, I have a big fan of Synthwave. Hang on a second. I'll, I'll tell you the stuff that I've, I've been listening to lately, if you like Synthwave. Go back. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, this good stuff. Oh nice. Let me send you over. Uh, I like this. Okay, I'll save that. Uh, interesting. For... It's interesting, interesting poppy. Oh, I'm in Portugal. I'm just listening to Portugal again. So. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, they got. They were more experimental uh, in their older stuff, and then they became more poppy mainstream with their newer stuff. But they got like huge commercial success, so power to them. Um, yeah, um, I've been playing a lot of Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven lately, so I'm going to mm -hmm. save this uh, synthwave mix for next time I, I turn the game. Oh on. Hell yeah! Let me see. Let me let me grab you a new these guys. This this dude is a British. Um, Sorry, I was listening to the thing. What did you say, Mark? I'm going to save your uh, synthwave mix for next time I play Cyberpunk. Oh, just a second. There's something I saw recently, which is just amazing. Where did I put it? Okay, here we go. So this is the dude's uh, Bandcamp page. So his whole thing is like creating a per perfect 80s, like a perfectly curated 80s aesthetic. And it's just... He just does such a good job with the music. Okay, sorry. Sorry, here cool. for Cyberpunk. Someone inserted Mr. Bean into it. Oh, I saw this. <laughs> yeah, this is great. You're looking for some company? Wake the fuck up and sit somewhere on it. We have a city to burn. <laughs> Great. Good 
Mr. Bean. <laughs> Do you ever see any of Rowan, Rowan Atkins' stand-up? He did, uh, you can find it on YouTube. It's great. I've seen a few. He, he, I've... Yeah, he has some stage show stuff that's really quite, quite imaginative and fun. <clears throat> I haven't seen too much, but I've seen some of it. I've seen a couple of things. Usually it's the shows he's in, like Blackadder is pretty good, but I haven't seen a lot of it. But what I have seen mm -hmm. has been good. I don't think I've seen any of it, so I'll have to take Worth a look. Check it out. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. Blackadder is basically, it's based very loosely on historical events, except basically put Miss, like, put Rowan Atkinson in as characters. Uh -huh. <laughs> Oh yeah! Like, here's a war that actually happened. What would happen if yeah, he was one of? Was there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where do I get Craig? Craig, give me your thingy. There you go. Download it. Yeah. Oh, cat, give me a blurb for the whatever. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Blurb to me. Blurb it. Blurb it good. Do 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 do. Ding dong. Okay, I'm gonna head off. But blurb for that. This All right. Sorry. Yeah, man. Good to talk. All right. Yeah. See you, later. See you guys next week. Happy anniversary. Woo. Happy anniversary. Bye. Bye.